0: Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Hallelujah. Okay, so I told you guys a couple months back that the Lord had us on a um, a pursuit of order. That part of part of the revival of the Father is a revival of order because that's what a good Father brings is order, and um, and so. As we've, been, um, as we've been praying through, you know, again, I'll say that for Frank and I and um, our team, starting King's Academy has been an earthquake in the realm of order, in the realm of even not just order of starting an organization or whatever, or birthing a ministry, but order, order in the sense of meeting with families, talking with parents, um, observing children and marriages, uh, which is something that as a church, we do all the time anyway, but when you add a school into the mix, um, there's another whole facet, there's another whole side of the life of a family that we see. And so, I wanna say this this morning as kind of a disclaimer, I warned you that we'd be talking about families, okay? I warned you that we'd be talking about order, um, I didn't necessarily expect for the Lord to put it on my heart this way, um, but we're going to be talking about order this morning in a way that may ruffle some feathers. It may uh, chafe a little bit against the tide of the times, but how many of y'all know a good message should do that anyway? Right? Come on. Chris Anderson's got my back, I think, so on this one. So... I, uh, I want to be in a passage that um, we we are notorious, as believers, we are notorious for grabbing one line or two lines out of um, and totally robbing it of its context. And there's a reason for that. The context is hard. It's hard. And it's okay to say that. It's hard, maybe for like the best Christian you can find, this is hard. Um, not just because it goes against what is culturally apropos, but because it it rubs our flesh, the, the, the parts of our flesh that we sometimes whitewash and sanctify and and manage to keep them going while we move on with our Christian life. And so uh, I, I love that we could spend a few moments and Jamal, that word this morning about Labor Day, it's so good um, because it reminds us that when it comes to the church being the bride, and God, you know this Godhead Trinity picture of the Holy Spirit as He conceived something in Mary, um, the Holy Spirit conceiving something in us, and we um, we we can talk those things out theologically without it without it rubbing our flesh that much. But the part is the hard part is is that Scripture brings that order between heaven and earth. It wants to instate that order on earth. And when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we have to accept and embrace the the order right here. Okay? So this is gonna be some tough stuff, maybe, for some of you, maybe not for others. Be imitators of me. That's hard enough as it is right there. Just as I also am of Christ, but I praise you, verse two in chapter 11 of the first letter to the Corinthians. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, every man say amen. amen. And the man is the head of every woman. Every woman say Amen. amen. There's a lot less women in here, <laughs> a lot less women. Which is kind of cool, because most churches are more women, so it's cool that we have such a... Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Y'all can wrestle with it. And God is the head of Christ, okay? That's where the sentence ends. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Y'all got this in your Bible? Okay. Verse 10 says, Therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. Everybody say authority. Because of the angels. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Everybody say amen. Amen. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. Let's stop right there, and, um, oh, even the AC stopped right there. <laughs> you know why? Because it's important that we get this. Bill, did you do that on your phone? <laughs> My guy, he's got the power on his, on his app. A couple things before we even get into the, the meat of this. I want to just read to you that first sentence. Now, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions but i want you to understand if you're writing things down you can take this to the bank holding firmly to tradition does not a peaceful household make holding firmly true to tradition does not a happy home make tradition as much as we think as much as we We like a nice, clean line between everything. The answer to this is not to go back to something more traditional. In fact, Paul is is starting off. He sets the stage saying, this is not a matter of traditional versus modern. This is not an old way versus a new way. But before we even get to that, I want to talk about this because I think that some of us, we, we take principles that are, that are taught in this passage. And instead of learning something about the Father, we decide, okay, I'm either going to cling to that tradition or I'm going to let it go and move into something more culturally appropriate. Tradition without understanding yields one of three things. And if you're from a traditional family... And maybe you were the black sheep that left it behind. Or maybe you were the good one that stayed. And another kid left tradition and, and went on to, you know, pave their own way or whatever. I want to I wanna just point this out. Tradition without understanding. That means you can do what your dad did because his dad did it. And, and he did it because his great-grandfather did it. Who was taught to do it by his great-great-great-grandfather. So that's tradition. The problem is so often... We applaud ourselves the way Paul applauded the Corinthians for holding to tradition, but there wasn't the understanding to back it up. Tradition without understanding yields one of three things, rebellion, resentment, or repression. Rebellion, resentment, or repression. Rebellion says, I'm not gonna do that. It might even say, I'm not gonna do that just because my parents did that. Or it might say, I'm just not going to do that ever again because I don't get it. I don't see the point. Resentment says, I'm going to keep doing that, but I'm going to hate it. Any Catholics in the room? <laughs> I've talked to a lot of Catholics who are some of the most faithful people. They have, they have Protestants beat by faithfulness by miles, okay? But, but there is, there's a burden that they carry, many of them. This isn't a Everybody. But culturally, since I've been to New England, I knew one Catholic when I lived in North Carolina. You know that? One Catholic. One Catholic, I knew. One Catholic. And then I moved here. I, uh, I'm concerned that this is not just a Catholic problem, it's an everybody problem. That we, that we will continue out of fear, or out of habit, or out of nature, we will continue to do something just because it's a tradition while hating it. resentment. tradition without understanding. And the last one is repression. And you may, you might keep doing it, and you might even and you might you might even not hate it, but this more sneaky thing will set in to the mild-mannered of us, those who aren't the fiery, rebellious or the or the you know the ones who are just so black and white and concrete that they're just going to keep doing it while they hate it there's this other thing and repression is when we um when we sort of exclude the significance of a thing out of our conscience we push it we push it out of um our uh, the forefront of our awareness and our and our cognition and our reasoning. And so we might keep doing it and we might not hate it, but the meaning of it, the significance of it doesn't bear fruit in our lives because we're not really dwelling on it. That's the scary part about tradition. That's what happened to the Pharisees. When they they gave themselves to tradition, they gave up the heart and the meaning and the significance behind it. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, it actually seems like Jesus is doing this new thing and it's this crazy, whoa, what's he talking about? And oh my gosh, this doesn't make any sense. It's a totally new paradigm. Whoa, double rainbow. But actually it wasn't. Jesus still taught the law, but he taught it through the father's heart. And that's what was revelatory, that it came with an understanding of who God was. It came with an understanding of what the Father really wanted for us. Oh, you can't heal on the Sabbath. You're breaking tradition. Well, do you, do you know the Father? Do you know the Father's heart? Because man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Without the understanding, we will raise another generation of rebellious, resentful, or repressed believers. Thank you. I'll be here till one. Who am I kidding? We're here till like three every Sunday. Now, I'll say this about the understanding piece because some of y'all are like, Zach, where do I even begin with this understanding business? I don't even, I mean, I don't get half of what goes on in here. I don't get half of what goes on in here. Um, But I will say this. uh, There is a grace for ignorance until ignorance is chosen and that grace is quenched. Okay, I'm going to say it one more time. If you're writing things down in the dark, there is a grace for ignorance until ignorance is chosen and the grace is quenched. Okay? Don't stress out about understanding everything. Don't, don't feel like you're going to take every School of the Spirit class there is. Some of y'all are trying to like Billy Madison your way through uh, School of the Spirit. Like, I want to get it all. I'm going to learn it all. I'm going to drink these five-hour energy drinks until the semester is over. And don't do that. Let the Lord teach you. You know what I'm saying? That's what the prophets say. The Holy Spirit will be our teacher. Let him teach you. Amen? Okay, so... If, just to wrap this up, when Paul says, I want you to understand, he's talking to a church that lived in a world not unlike our own. A church, a young church that lived in a world, Corinth was notorious for uh, sexual immorality and, and indulgences. There were, uh, this is where, you know, Paul's talking to young men about joining themselves to prostitutes at the temple because it was part of the, the, not just the religious practice, but the cultural norm of the day. And so when he says, what I'm about to say to you concerning order, When he says it's important that you not just do this because of tradition, that you do it because you understand it. I want to just like bring that to 2022 and say this to you. We can't just know what we believe. We have to know why we believe it. I'm going to say it one more time. We cannot just know what we believe. We have to know why. That's why. SOS. That's why Kings Academy. That's why the Bible studies. That's why the heart group and the soul study. That's why we have these home groups that have been consistent and faithful and week after week, after week, after week, after week, people are in the word to pour it out because the world doesn't need one more radical believer. It needs someone who understands that what they believe makes a radical difference. That's what it comes down to. Because when we're just radical about what we believe and not radical about why we believe it, we prove the world right about everything that they think about us, about all the stereotypes, all the nonsense, all the Hollywood, all the hype, all the garbage, all the stuff that we're not when we don't have the understanding to back it up. Yeah, are we good with that? All right, let's keep going. Verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Everybody say headship. headship. This is a message about headship. It's not a it's not a message about chauvinism. It's not a message about sexism. It's not a message about masculinism versus feminism. It's a message about headship and order. And I love the way Paul writes this. I love the way the Holy Spirit records this forever. I don't know that it was that significant back when this letter was originally written, but I know it's significant now and it's significant to us as a church. He sandwiches, notice where he puts that man is the head of every woman, right between two other headships. Christ is the head of every man, the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. That is the first compliment sandwich (laughs) delivered up fresh 2,000 years ago. If you're writing things down, we can't understand domestic order without understanding divine order. We cannot understand, and I'll say even talk about, domestic order unless we first understand divine order. Christ is the head of the man, man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of the church. That's why it's written this way. This is not a, um, this is not, was never supposed to be a cultural argument. And that is what the enemy is so good at, is convincing us that things are not of God, that this argument is not a theological debate, that this is just traditionalism versus modernism, or this is just masculinism versus feminine, this is just, you know, old school thinking versus whatever. That's the biggest lie out there. Everything that a healthy marriage reflects and displays and presents should reflect and display and present heaven. And so the order that is fruitful in heaven and has been for all ever is fruitful in our homes when we're walking in it y'all love this message this is like everybody's favorite message i just sense the giving is going up this morning again not a cultural argument but a theological one there's no there's no tension or quarreling again Paul gives us this because we're supposed to understand domestic order in the context of divine order. There's no tension or quarreling among the Trinity. Jesus says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And he says things like, not my will, but yours be done. When the Father is leading him up a hill to die, an execution on a cross. If there's some other way around this, Father, I'd love to know that. We're coming down to the wire here. If there's an, is any other option, no, okay, not my will, but yours be done. There's no tension or quarreling among the Trinity. So what this means, what this passage alone means, and listen, I've sat around tables and had arguments with so many pastors and people who were trying to reconcile scriptural truths with culture and politics and everything else, here's a quick newsflash. You can't do it. It doesn't work. There's no reconciling. There's no, there's no, well, let's figure out how to make abortion work given the circumstances. Nope, the circumstances are given because somebody tried to figure out how to make abortion work. See how it works? Same thing goes with domestic order. These aren't just, these aren't just political ideas. These aren't just, uh, you know, ethical statements. These are principles taught from the kingdom, and we've got to receive them as such. We can't deconstruct domestic order without breaking down divine order, and that's a popular thing to do right now is to, to deconstruct everything we do, everything we believe, everything we know, well, let's figure out where did this really come from? Why do we really believe this? Why do we really practice this? Why is this really the way that it is? And by the way, I'm, I'm actually a little bit of a fan of it because I, I can see where we have built um, principle on top of precept, where we have, uh, we, we've, we've created truths, we've constructed things on foundations other than Jesus. And I think it's important that as Christians, we're able to take it back apart until we get to the problem and find out, wait a minute, this was never built on Jesus. Let's bring it over here and see what we can build from there. And so I'm not uh, uh, just this hardcore advocate of deconstructionism. What I'm saying is, if you're going to deconstruct the domestic order laid out in scripture, then you'd better be ready to break down the Trinity too. You better be ready to break down heaven's order as well because they're one in the same. The manifestation of God's desires and Jesus's destiny became about because of order. It came about because of headship. The very fact that we are saved today, the very fact that we are certain and sure of our hope, of our future, that we know we spend eternity with Jesus Christ, the very fact that we, can, that we can call ourselves the sons and daughters of God is nothing but a product of headship. The Father said it, and Jesus obeyed. The Father laid out a plan, and Jesus submitted to it. Headship, order. If there was quarreling, if there was tension, can you imagine? Can you imagine if our trinity was like the Greek gods or, or Roman mythology where they're all like at odds with each other and they're constantly having fights and, you know, like someone's head falls to earth and becomes a continent. <laughs> like that can only work for so long, you know. Well, then there was a, a war and the blood, you know, turned the sunset red or whatever, you know. It's like how, how, how much can, can keep happening here? Why? Because It's chaos. It's chaos. There's no real order. There's no real headship. But when we look at our God, when we look at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the perfect harmony, the perfect coexistence, the perfect uh, uh, separation of purpose, but complete oneness in person. We've got to understand that, that this is what the Father wants for our home. And so this morning, if you're dealing with division in your household, if you're dealing with quarreling and tension, I want to call us back to what God lays out as the recipe for order. Okay? My wife thinks this is good, so my afternoon's going to be all right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about? So verse five, but every woman who has her head uncovered. Now, I wanna talk about this because this is a part where I'm, I'm not gonna die on the mountain of hairstyles. Uh, I know that there are some of us in here who will do that. I'm not gonna tell y'all that women that you can't shave your head or guys that you can't have take the Nazarite vow. I'm not gonna tell you that <laughs> just in haircuts. But what I am gonna say is that these things just, uh, just as um, so much about culture, these, these things are given as a representation of how our lives are lived, how our posture is conducted, and I would challenge you this morning on ways in which headship is demonstrated, ways in which submission is actually manifested in your home. How is there a mutual, uh, how is there a love and respect? You know, if you, if you take any of our marriage classes here, they usually come down to, uh, you know, how scripture says, husbands love your wives, wives respect or honor your husbands. And just in case you're not ever taking any of those classes, I'll say it to you. There's a reason the Bible says, husbands love your wives and wives honor your husbands. There's also a reason why culture is telling us to do the exact opposite of that. Husbands, honor and respect your wives. Wives, love your husbands. Because there is a breaking down. There is, back to the deconstruction, we're breaking down how God wired us to be. Men are wired by God to thrive when they are respected and honored. If you are not respecting and honoring your husband, do not expect him to lead well. Do not expect him to love you well. But husbands, it starts with you. It has to start with you. It has to start with me. It started with Jesus, right? He loved us in our sin. He died first before we ever had a chance to put our flesh to death. Jesus went and took all of our sins a groom that shows the grooms in the room how to do it. You have to go first. Love your wife. Well, I'm doing everything I can to respect her and honor her. Love your wife. Find out what her love language is. Read a book about it. It's called The Five Love Languages. (laughs) Read the stinking book. Find out what your wife's love language is And give God a run for his money on how full she gets until her cup runneth over. Fill her up, love her, love her to death, but your own death. That's how Jesus loves the church. That's how Jesus loves the bride. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. What does that mean? Pour yourself out even unto death. Amen. divine order. Yeah, it's all right. This is hard. It's hard because I think sometimes we want to say, yeah, but the issue in my house is, yeah, but you don't know what she, yes, I do. I've heard it all. I pastor this church. I've heard everything, every stinking thing there is to hear. I've heard it all. My wife and I have heard it all. And and you know what, I haven't seen anything yet that cannot be fixed by the love of God. That is not addressed when order is reinstated in the home. That's a gross oversimplification of my problem. No, you're just grossly overcomplicating your problem. That's what the deal is. Can I tell, can I just say one more thing in here, it's a little late for a disclaimer, but I also wanna say, you know what? Forget it. Forget it. Now I'm not going to say it now. Now, th- in, in all seriousness, guys, I'm saying a lot of big statements this morning. Um, I do understand that there are toxic relationships. I do understand that there are people in abusive marriages. I do understand that there are situations um, where substance abuse and addiction and outside influences have have made this a complicated situation. And I don't want you to, for one second, think that I'm just nodding at that. I will say that I believe that going back to the root of all of that, that order is likely the culprit, or disorder is likely the culprit. But I'm not just saying if you just go home and submit, it's gonna fix all your problems, okay? please don't misunderstand me to say that. I believe in counseling. I believe in inner healing. I believe in yielding and deliverance. I believe that the Lord has provided so many resources for us to go after and tackle the wounds in our own lives that we bring as baggage to the table of marriage. And and we have to be diligent to keep working on ourselves. That's why this is not a one-sided message. That's why this is not a, hey, if you'll just go and do this at home, then your spouse will magically do that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, if you go and get before the Lord, both of you, husbands and wives, go and get before the Lord and let him address and tweak what needs to be tweaked in you, when you come back together, all of this stuff works. Like like crazy works, okay? Good, so let's keep going. bump with me down here for um, where it says uh, while they're praying and prophesying. Paul addressed it while praying and prophesying. And I I think even that is kind of cool. He's not saying this, you know, like, oh, around the clock, women have to keep their head covered. Um, And yet there's something between the lines here that I want us to get. The praying and prophesying is heavenly interaction. When you're praying, you're you're bringing petitions and supplications and intercession up to the Lord. And while you're prophesying, you're speaking the Father's heart on the earth. So he's saying that this order, this domestic order between husbands and wives should be apparent. It should be displayed. It should be projected while this divine heavenly interaction is taking place. Now, take that to the bank. Take that back to the situation. Take that back to your dining room table, your, uh, your master bedroom, your living room, or wherever. And understand that the answer to those issues, we pray and we prophesy, don't we? We pray, we're praying for our spouses, we're praying for our marriages, we're praying for our kids' marriages and our parents' marriages and our neighbors' marriages. And we prophesy, we're more than willing. You know what? I'm, I'm growing more and more to believe that prophesying is not really the issue. Not prophesying is not the issue. <laughs> People believers prophesy a lot more than they think they do. The problem is when we're so ready and willing to prophesy, but we do it from a place of disorder. There's a reason why Paul says, make sure that men get that thing off your head when you're praying or prophesying. Women, take his hat and put it on your head because there's an importance here. There's a significance to, if you ever hope to see the kingdom come, to pray his will be done into a situation, to prophesy, to pray for heaven to come down and whatever the deal is, whatever the issue is, we have to be doing it from a place of order because heaven only responds to order. That's why we say, holy, holy, holy. That's why that's why worship comes first because worship comes first in heaven. It's order. Before revelation, we've got to know who he is. And then when he re- reveals, we respond. It's order. It's back and forth. And so... I want you to understand that just going home and speaking the word to your spouse, just going home and telling them like it is, well, you know how that ends. Order. Husbands, love your wives. Now prophesy. Wives, honor, respect your husbands. Now see if your prayers work. And finally, um, I, I just, concerning this point, Paul continues to depict this balance and order that 's present in heaven, and I think it 's so important that this order that we realize that it 's not to settle some dispute but it 's to keep the dispute from happening to begin with um, this is not this is not damage control okay this is a preemptive prescription uh, it's it 's not a response to brokenness it 's a preemptive measure to avoid brokenness and uh, if you're If you're curious about that, you'll see here where Paul takes us all the way back to um, the the garden narrative and we see Adam and Eve. we see he says man doesn't originate from woman, woman originated from man. That is um, when God takes the rib out of Adam and forms Eve around that rib. and um, I love this picture, and I think it's beautiful because At the fall, when sin enters the room in chapter 3, 16 of Genesis, you don't have to turn there, but sin enters the picture and God starts to um, talk about the curse. And we skip over this, don't we? We know we're kicked out of the garden. We get it. We know now we can't wear fig leaves. We have to wear animal skins. We know. We get it. Uh, You know, whatever it is. We, We think we get it, but we don't because many of us are still, we have one ear to, the, to, to the, the, the culture. And all culture is doing is perpetuating that curse that happened outside the garden gates. When God says, woman, after he says, childbirth is gonna be a bear for you, and you know, and he, and he curses the serpent, and he talks through all these things, and he says, Women, your desire will be for your husband and husbands, uh, you'll want to rule over your wives. And the Hebrew there, if you get into it, is basically, it's, 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 this, um, it's this really gross corruption of what headship is supposed to be. It shows enmity that is birthed by sin and brokenness between husbands and wives, between men and women right down the middle of the race. And when we, when we see this, and then you trace it forward thousands of years, you realize that's why people can't figure out today whether they're a man or a woman. People can't figure out, people can't decide, well, I was born this way, but I think I wanna be this way, but I'm not 100% sure, so I'm just gonna dress that way until I can afford the surgery. I'm just gonna practice this by stepping out on my wife with someone of the same sex just to see, you know, I never got a chance to experiment like that in college and so I'm just trying to figure out if maybe, you know, maybe this is for me. And so we're trying to, we're trying to thread a needle that was never meant to be threaded. We're trying to take control. We're trying to take headship over ourselves instead of understanding that we exist in a divinely and eternal orchestrated order. One where, man, you are not the head. Christ is the head. Well, I'm the head of my home. Christ is the head. You're at best a middleman. Christ is the head of every man. So stop thinking about this, about where you are in the head seat and start thinking of it as where you are in the other seat. Man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. That's true. That's in the creation narrative, right? God looks at Adam, and he says, Eh, this guy. Yeesh. Let's just say, God created Eve to lure Adam out of the first man cave okay? He woke up from his sleep because he was doing a lot of sleeping. He woke up from his first sleep and sees a naked woman right there. It was not good for man to be alone. Eve was created for Adam. And as I wrote this whole message and was ready to preach it, and I'm sitting down here as Jamal's doing a sound check this morning, and Ashley does what she's does what she is famous for <laughs> she's like well you know i was reading this last night because i made the mistake of telling her what i was preaching on so she's gonna she's gonna do all the leg work that's why i don't do sermon series y'all because she reads ahead um just kidding and ashley was like you know she said we're always told that we have to find our purpose in the Lord. We have to find our purpose in the Lord. We find our purpose in the Lord, our, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. She said, but I read a, a passage like that and it, it challenges me a little bit about, I was really created by God for you, me, this guy. It's so a babe way. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up. The, 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 the picture here is that if we're wrestling with our identity, if we're wrestling with, with our purpose, if we're wrestling with uh, you know, the core of who we are and what we're for, even this is laid out right here. And women of God, I, I pray, I asked Ashley to come up and say it herself because she's way more articulate than I am, but I, I, I'm asking this morning for you to hear it from her if you can't hear it from me. If we, if we are trying to find our purpose outside of God's order for our lives, we will find chaos. We will find disappointment. We will find unfulfillment. And tragically, that describes so much of culture. How is it that people who are, you know, like award-winning career artists and and phenomenal executives how is it that they're still taking their own lives and they're still in depression and in therapy uh all the time never getting ahead and never um overcoming wounds and issues and and ordeals because we're out of order It has nothing to do with your salary. It has nothing to do with the number of vacation homes we have. It has nothing to do with all of the other things that we do to try to fix the happiness problem. It has everything to do with order. And order has to start with us. Before we can talk about how are we raising our kids? I don't even wanna have the kid raising conversation until we can get order in our marriages until we can realize that God has something beautiful for your home but you can understand here why you can understand here why wait a minute if man was not created for the woman but woman was created for the man that means that woman that, that means that your purpose now you'll understand while well, I'll I'll be up here harping about not being unequally yoked about why it's so important not just that you marry someone who's a nominal christian but someone who is really filled with the Holy Spirit, who is really walking according to the word of God, who is really practicing these disciplines and and yielding the fruit that's supposed to come from a life in Jesus. Because if we're finding our purpose in something else, we're gonna be a mess. Now for the wives in this room and you feel like, Zach, that ship sailed. I'm in a marriage that's not healthy and, and my, my husband isn't a believer or he doesn't whatever, agree with what I'm doing or whatever it is. Listen, this is not condemnation for you. In fact, this is almost a little bit of a get out of jail card for you because what it says is the Lord brought you to a church where there is still headship, where there are elders, men and women of God who love the Lord and who speak life into you and who cover you and who will help walk you through difficult decisions that we're praying your husband will one day walk you through. But there's headship here. And and ministry out of this house happens in that order. Do we get it right every time? No, we don't. But the Lord has us like hyper aware of it. And so we get convicted and we get corrected and we get re-trajected when we need to. And that's what I'm praying for our home, saints. That's what I'm praying for you. Because, because... This birthing process, <laughs> it's so much sweeter when your spouse is standing there holding yes, your hand, isn't it? Yes, sir. Amen. <laughs> Alan's like, all the babies I gave birth to. <laughs> I'm so glad Linda was there holding my hand. What a blessing. Alan, you're actually starting to show now. I see that baby bump coming. Looking good. <laughs> Let's go ahead and stand up. Something's cooking in the oven. <laughs> I don't. I don't like to quote a lot of um, preachers and stuff up here because I, I want the Lord to to give us what He has fresh for us. But as I was doing a little research on this, um, I I found a message by John Piper, and uh, you know I'm not up here to you know advocate for every theological plank in everybody's platform or not but I will say that man's a genius and uh, he said this in a, in a message that he preached a while back about um, gender roles he said um, the essence of sin is self reliance and self exaltation first in rebellion against God then in exploitation of each other it happened with Adam and Eve. This aggrandizement of, of like, how, 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 can I, how can I make a decision without them knowing about it? How can, I, how can I come out from under that covering? In fact, some will say that was Eve's real sin. Was that in that, in that action, she was not submitted. She was not operating under the headship that the Lord gave her. And this, this husbands and wives thing, it's, it's a broader stroke than this. This is about ministry. This is about whatever we do that is at its roots, a prayer and a prophetic utterance to the world, because that's what ministry is. It's an ear to heaven and a voice to the world And if we're not doing that, if our prayers and our prophetic stuff, whether it's in our marriages, in our ministries, in our whatever, if we're operating out from under that headship, we cannot expect it to be fruitful. And so while we can use a lot of big words in here and a lot of one-liners, at the end of the day, it comes down to you, husbands. It comes down to you, wives. If the essence of sin is self-reliance and self-exaltation. I want to ask, is there any of that in your marriage? Self-reliance and self-exaltation. You weren't meant to be independent. You were meant to be one. There's no such thing as self-anything except selflessness. If you take premarital with me, I'll say that every time we get together because I've perfected it. Don't laugh that hard. I still stink at it, but you know what? I can recognize in myself that self-reliance. You know what? I can do it by myself. Well, you can do it by yourself, but you weren't meant to. Single moms can raise kids by themselves but they weren't meant to. Women can be the spiritual leader of their home, but they weren't meant to. This is a mantle on you, man of God. Rise to the occasion, love your wives, create an environment where your wife is thrilled to be in that order, where she's excited to submit. Because just like Jesus submitting to God, her destiny comes into fruition because of it. Amen. I don't wanna let anybody leave without praying for marriages. And so we're up on time and we're gonna close in prayer. But listen, if you're here this morning and you'd say, Zach, we, um, we, we wanna see revival in our home. We wanna see restoration. Or maybe your marriage isn't bad but you just want to see it be awesome. In fact, I think that's actually the majority of the places that I want to speak to this morning because God desires to birth something new and it, and it's going to take marriages that are saying, you know what, we've been functioning for 15 years. I think we're actually doing pretty well. You know, we go to church every week, the kids are dressed and, you know, they're bathed occasionally and, you know, whatever else. We've got them in Kings. We've got all the chips are in place. But we want to level up in how we pray and prophesy. We want to level up in how we minister. We want to level up in how our home reflects the order that surrounds the throne of heaven. If that's your marriage in this place this morning, even if you're here by yourself, step out of your seat and come down here. Take a couple more steps forward just so we got room for everybody here. I love this. Has everything to do with just being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Lord, help me. If it was only as easy as, like, women, just stop shaving your heads, men, take your hat off. <laughs> Dan, you literally, yeah, it's good. Like I said, the father's looking at your heart. He's looking at your posture. Your heart, your posture. The first move here is stop worrying about what the other person's doing wrong. Stop, stop trying to help them get it right. <laughs> we got some epic fixers down here, don't we? I'm gonna fix you. I'm going to fix you. Listen to me, saints. The Lord's going to do a miracle in your home. He's going to prove the world wrong with your marriage. God is going to take whatever is out of sync or out of order. And with this this simple recipe, it's just laid out like that. Husbands, if Christ is not your head, you need to make him your head right now. Yep. Don't say one word to your wife before you cry out to God and say, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive my sins. I'm a sinner and I'm broken and I'm nothing without you, Lord. You don't even look at your wife until you say those words, until you mean them in your heart, until you can get right with God. Accept the covering of the blood of Jesus. Accept the forgiveness of your sins and the fact that the Lord makes that work retroactive in your life and can reach all the way back into your childhood and begin to adjust and tweak and turn things and paint beautiful pictures out of broken messes. Don't you think he can't do it? Don't you think he won't? But it starts with you, husband. Make Christ your head. And when Christ is our head, We're a lot less worried about ourselves being the head, aren't we? Where he leads me, I will follow. So when Paul opens up this whole statement by saying, follow me as I follow Christ, he's showing us what headship really looks like. It looks like following, following, following. The world is obsessed with leadership. I'm over it. I'm just telling you right now, I'm over it. 27 Andy Stanley books later. I'm over it. I'm obsessed with followership. I'm obsessed with learning the art of following. What does it mean to have Christ as your head? Men of God, you're going to be on a journey and the Lord's going to show you so much about what that means. And all you do, don't worry about what your wife's not doing right or wrong. You take her by the hand and you bring her with you. Wives, I remember years ago, the Lord showed me this. I was talking with a woman, and she was telling me all the things that she's doing to try to get her husband to be a better leader. Any women in the room like that? Just don't raise your hand, especially not if your husband's here. Pastor Zach. I bought him this set of tapes and I sent him to this conference and I told him to watch these YouTubes and I got him, I, I took his phone and I put this podcast subscription on it and it's all about being a better leader. I just want him to be a better leader. I'm gonna help him be a better leader. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make my husband a better leader. And I finally said to her, woman of God, I may not have addressed it quite like that. And what happens when your husband arrives at that place? Even if he does, if he goes to the conference and he checks all the boxes and he listens to all the podcasts and he, and he does the, all, the whole thing, you're still leading him. You're the one that led him all the way there. Wives, I'm gonna give you a quick secret to how to turn your husband into a leader. Get behind him. If you get behind him, he is immediately that fast leading. Oh, that says you don't know. He can't, he won't, he doesn't, he can't even, you haven't seen. Shut your mouth, woman of God, and get behind him. And sometimes it's not your time frame. Sometimes husbands, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes husbands need, we're a little like, I'm gonna take my time here. All right. I'm gonna do a little research. I'm gonna read a little user reviews. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to map this thing out nine different ways. But I'm going to tell you this morning, when you see order in your home, it's worth it. Whatever part of your flesh you had to shut down to arrive there, whatever had to be put to death in you to achieve that, it's worth it. It's worth it the oneness of who you are in Christ, the beauty and the power that you are when you're greater than the sum of your parts because you've created an environment where the Holy Spirit can flood your home and can conceive in you more than just the children in the bedrooms down the hallway, but an entire legacy of fruit and future, the destiny. So Father, we thank you this morning for your order. We thank you this morning, God, that this has nothing to do with, oh, how spiritual we are or how much of the Bible we've read. It has everything to do with how we're postured beneath our headship. So, Father, I pray this morning that as men of God, that we would rise up in this room to the place of knowing that Jesus is our head that Jesus is our King, Jesus is our Lord, and that from that vantage point, beneath the shadow of His wing, that we would find within ourselves the grace and the love and the compassion and the understanding that is required to love our wives well, the way you love the church. God, I pray over my sisters at this altar and in this room, the ones watching online. I pray over my sisters in this room, the wives and the wives-to-be and the wives that once were. God, I pray that you would, that you would, um, God, that you would bring about a grace, That that you would whisper, Lord, that origin story, God, I pray that that these women would have dreams and visions about how the fulfillment of their purpose on this earth comes through order, order. Lord, where there's chaos, we bind it in Jesus' name. Where there's confusion, we bind it in Jesus' name. Where there's been manipulation and abuse, we stand against you right now in Jesus' name. And by the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary, we cancel the assignment of division over marriages, over over self-reliance and self-exaltation. You have no place in in godly marriages and homes. And so, God, we, we trust you with these families. We trust you with what you're doing. We trust you that for such a time as this, that it was this morning that these people be in this room for this service because you are reviving order. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. We love you. And we thank you.
1: And if you're at this altar, just before you
0: sneak out of here, have a conversation that drives a stake into the ground. We tell people that, you know, when they give their heart to the Lord, like, don't just let it be another day, you know, like write it down somewhere and, you know, talk to somebody about it. I'm gonna tell you the same thing because some of you, it might not be your marriage that is saved today, but it might be the fruit that your marriage is to bear, the ministry your marriage is to birth, the prayer and the and the prophecy that your marriage is to, is to operate in may have just been saved. And so drive a stake into the ground and say, have a conversation about it. Ashley and I have this annual conversation on our, when we go out for our anniversary and, and we'll, we'll be like, is there anything that I can do to love you better? Is there anything I'm doing that you wanna change? Like kind of like a speak now, forever hold your peace until next year. (laughs) It's not really, but we just get so busy. Sometimes we forget to ask each other. And um, it's so refreshing because honestly, even if you have some laundry list of nonsense that you want your spouse to change, usually the humility in somebody's eyes to say, hey, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to protect you. I'm here to provide for you. I'm here to create something stable off of which you can spring all the purpose in your heart. It's hard to come up with a reason for them to change. So let the Lord do that work in you and in your spouse. Amen. God bless you guys. Have the best day of your lives. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.